Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Youth Sunday. I am so glad to be with you this morning and glad to be able to highlight what we have going on in our youth ministry and even greater, having an opportunity to let our students serve you, their church. You know, my name is uh, Johnny Fielding. I serve as our youth ministry director here at Redemption, and I love our youth ministry. I love watching how God is working in the lives of teenagers here at Redemption and how he's using our adult volunteers to impact those lives. But I'm really grateful for Redemption as a whole. You know, some of you may not know that uh, I've only been here for about a year, and my family and I are grateful for this church. We're grateful for the community that we've had here. We're grateful for the support that we felt from you for our youth ministry here at this church. Well, speaking of having only been here for about a year, before I served at Redemption, I was working at a church out in Austintown, near Youngstown, about an hour away from here. And every Wednesday morning, I would lead a Bible study at the local high school, Austintown Fitch. And we would meet in the school library, and we would have coffee and donuts for the students. We'd meet before class started that Wednesday morning, and we'd get in the Word. We would pray together, encourage each other, and just build some community with those students. It was really an awesome way to be able to, to help the students have a great start to their Wednesday morning. But every week we had this girl who would come, and it was kind of interesting. Like She never would sit with us at the Bible study at the tables we were at in the library. She would always choose to be like in the bookshelves, like just kind of standing and listening, or she'd go sit at a computer in the technology section and just kind of listen from afar. But after like a while, like we would say stuff that she wouldn't agree with or she was confused about, and she would like holler from the other side of the library and ask questions or say something. It was kind of weird. But as the weeks would end, she would always stay afterwards and talk to me. And she would have all these questions for me, asking me all sorts of things. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this girl is really hungry for the gospel. She doesn't understand it. She just wants to be able to like, comprehend it and have somebody instruct her in what the Bible teaches. But the more I got to know her, I learned that this girl was part of a faux Christian cult that would teach her that she can't be part of a Bible study that's not run by somebody from her group. Right? It has to be somebody, even to just study the Bible on her own, she had to somebody, have someone who was approved to be able to make sure she was interpreting it correctly. And so she wasn't allowed to be part of our Bible study, and so she would ask these questions to me and say these things, not out of curiosity, not out of doubt or wanting a desire to learn, but instead out of a desire to be right, to prove me wrong and show me my false ways. And, you know, although we may not have as harsh of an attitude as this, the reality is that all of us struggle with doubt in some capacity. All of us have questions, and as at times we can be set in our ways of what we believe and unwilling to learn. Right? It's, it's common. We, we think of teenagers as like they're the time when we start having these questions. But we don't kid ourselves to say that it starts and ends there. Right? We all have these questions of doubt and wondering when it comes to faith. Even people in the Bible struggled with doubt too. Right? Like think about these people. They were people who saw Jesus perform incredible miracles. These are people who saw God actively working and obviously making his presence known, and yet they still struggled with doubt. 
These, for some reason, people in general just have this leaning towards doubt, even though God is making his presence obviously known to us. So last week, Pastor Rick started this new journey series for us where we're looking at the lives of people in the Bible. And the reality is that these people are not perfect. In fact, they're, they're messy and they're broken just like you and I are. And so today, we're going to look at the story of Thomas, a man who doubted. Now, as we jump into the story, there's a few details that are important to understand before we jump in. Like, for example, as we're approaching this story, it is right after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Right, like Jesus has been arrested, he's been convicted and crucified on the cross, he's died and was uh, put into the tomb for three days, and now he has come back to life, he is resurrected from the dead, and he, his body is missing from the tomb. And so he has started appearing to his followers and his disciples on different occasions, and letting them know that he is in fact alive. And so his disciples, his closest followers, are actually hiding inside of a locked house in the, the story just before what we're looking at today. They're hiding inside of a locked house because they are nervous that they are going to be persecuted, oppressed, or even convicted and killed just like Jesus was for their connection to Jesus. And so they hide inside of a locked house to protect themselves for fear that they'd be killed. And so Jesus appears to them inside of that locked house, miraculously, right? Like he appears in, fr in front of them as they sit inside of a locked house, and he comes to them and he reassures their faith by being there with him. He comes and he commissions his disciples. He tells them to keep on in the ministry that they've been doing, spreading the way of the kingdom of God to all people. And he finally, he breathes on them and he gives them the Holy Spirit to empower that mission. Now, this is some really important stuff that happened here. And we'll see what happens when Thomas enters the scene in John 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... And place my finger into the mark of the nails. And place my hand into his side. I will never believe. So Thomas, in this previous encounter with Jesus, was not present for some reason. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us why Thomas wasn't there. But it tells us that he wasn't. And there was some really important things that happened there. And so the other disciples, they try to fill Thomas in on what has happened. Right, like, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas, Jesus came to us and he gave us the Holy Spirit and he instructed us to keep pressing on in the mission that he gave to us. Not to sit in fear, but instead to go out and keep spreading the way of the kingdom of God to all people. Yet Thomas refuses to believe it. He won't believe it. Right, he's so adamant that he says he will not believe unless three things happen. First, that he sees in his hands the mark of the nails. Second, that he can place his finger into the mark of the nails in Jesus' hand. And lastly, that he can place his hand into Jesus' side where they stabbed Jesus on the cross to make sure that he was actually dead. 
Thomas, you're a gruesome dude. Like, these are gross requests. Like, think about it. Like, you want to put your finger into Jesus' hole in his hand and touch the bloody, gross scab that is there. Like, seeing it wouldn't be enough for you, Thomas. Even better yet, like hearing the witness of these disciples of Jesus who you've served alongside Jesus for the past several years. That's not enough for you, Thomas. But he insists that unless he can see and touch, he will not believe. You know, I've uh, really enjoyed, I've been watching a lot of videos about the James Webb Space Telescope. Is there any uh, space NASA fans out there? Right? Thank you for the three of you that raised your hands. I appreciate you. <laughs> but I've really, I really have. I've enjoyed learning about this. And I've been watching all of these videos about the James Webb Space Telescope, which, if you're not familiar, is like the big brother to the Hubble Telescope. Right? And it's this $10 billion space telescope that they've been working on for the past 30 years. And it was just launched last December, and the first images from it were released this past July. You can see here a comparison of the Hubble telescope, an image that it took next to the James Webb Space Telescope. This is actually a deep field galaxy cluster that's in space, and so all the things that look like stars are actually entire galaxies. That's how far away they are. And you can see the comparison of the side-by-side of how much more detail, how many more galaxies you can see, how you can see through the dust cloud that's in the distance there to be able to see the detail behind it because of the James Webb Space Telescope's superior ability. Now, as astronomers are using this incredible piece of, of equipment... They're studying a lot of different things, and they're making a ton of different findings. We're, we're just at the very beginning of what they're going to learn with this historic instrument. But one of the things that they've been studying is the, the uh, formation and the death of stars. Like, how does that happen, right? And it's things that, like, they're learning new things, but they're also verifying things that they have believed for decades, that they're now able to verify that they can see it with the detail that they need to be able to see and prove that this is true. Right, so, like, astronomers studying the, the unknowns of the universe, they don't have this standard of they need to see to believe. Yet Thomas, a follower of Jesus... And a man of faith expects that he not just can see, but he should be able to touch in order to believe. Unless I can see, unless I can touch his wounds, I will not believe. And while Thomas's friends and fellow followers of Jesus are rejoicing in Jesus' resurrection, Thomas is forced into a week filled with doubt, filled with confusion, and filled with disconnection from his community. So we see Jesus enter the story here in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, this section here, this, this verse, would have been so easy to just gloss over and skip, right? It's just the story introducing Jesus. He says hi, right? But God doesn't waste words, does he? 
When he said, peace be with you, even that simple greeting spoke volume to his disciples who have been hiding behind locked doors, afraid for their life. Peace be with you. It spoke volumes to Thomas, who has been alone in doubt and confusion for the last week, lacking peace. Thomas, peace be with you. It even speaks to us to tell us that even in doubt or fear, Jesus has compassion on us and offers peace. Peace be with you. Story continues. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You know, verse uh, 27 here that we just read, it's really interesting that Jesus, who was not present when Thomas made these claims that I need to be able to see the finger holes or the holes in his hands. I need to be able to touch them with my finger. I need to be able to place my hand in the wound in his side. Jesus not only knows these things, but he offers them to Thomas. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand out and place it into my side. Jesus offers him exactly what he needed to believe. Now Thomas responds not by insisting on touching, but instead by submitting to worship. Right, like, the story doesn't tell us whether Thomas actually did it or not. Right, we don't know if Thomas actually touched Jesus' wounds. He obviously saw them, but we don't know if he actually touched them. But what the story highlights here, what it points out to us is that Thomas submitted to Jesus in worship. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responds by saying to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So as Jesus responds to Thomas, Jesus doesn't respond by correcting Thomas as he worships him, but instead by accepting this worship, right? Like Thomas has just identified Jesus as God. The words he uses here are the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh Elohim, this formal Jewish name for God. And so if Jesus anything but agreed with Thomas here, he would have gone ballistic on him, right? Like he would have claimed that Thomas was blaspheming against God by calling Jesus my Lord and my God. So Thomas is pointing out to us that Jesus is not just an authority figure. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a leader of a movement. Jesus is the fullness of God. And Jesus continues by giving this call for all people to believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Right, like, do you know who that's referring to here? That's us, right? Like, we are the people who have not seen and yet still believe. And if following Jesus required seeing him, then the church would have died out with those who walked among Christ. So Jesus identifies here the blessing of knowing him, right? We are blessed because we believe. We have the privilege and the gift of relationship with God. 
J.I. Packer has this really great book called Knowing God, and he says this in it. What were we made for? To know God. What aim shall we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. We are blessed because we know Jesus. And Jesus isn't offering this special blessing here to those who believe without seeing. Instead, he's stating that the church is blessed because they know him. Knowing God is the blessing of being a Christian. And what an awesome blessing that is. As I studied this passage, uh, three lessons really popped out to me, and so I want to share them with you today. The first is that Jesus does not condemn us when we doubt. Right? Like, look at this story and this encounter between Thomas and Jesus. It would have been so easy for Jesus to rebuke Thomas for his doubt, but he did not. Thomas was with Jesus during his ministry. He saw Jesus multiply food and feed thousands. He saw Jesus calm the storm and walk on water. He saw countless demon possessions expelled by the power of Jesus. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead, and yet he still doubted. And Jesus did not condemn him. You know, the reality, as I mentioned earlier, is that every single person in this room Every single person that has ever lived, we all wrestle with doubt. Questions of, God, are you there? Questions of, God, do you, are you good? Do you care about me? We struggle with doubt and it looks different for everybody, but it is okay that we struggle with doubt. What really matters here is how you respond to that doubt, right? Like, when you have doubt, will you respond with a heart of skepticism or a heart of unbelief? When you have doubt, will you be willing to learn and grow from your doubt? Or are you convinced that the questions that you have mean that Jesus must be false? Or maybe neither of those apply to you. Maybe you wrestle with doubt, but you pretend like it's not there. And you risk it eating at your faith until it's dead. We all struggle with doubt. And Jesus doesn't condemn us for that doubt. So we shouldn't condemn ourselves for it either. So often we feel guilty for doubting, or we we judge other people for doubting and create this culture where it's not okay to ask questions about our faith. But we have to resist this and instead wrestle with that doubt. Really dig into it and look for answers. Be willing to learn and grow and allow our faith to be strengthened as we learn the truth of who God is. Jesus does not condemn us in our doubt. Instead, Jesus meets us in our doubt and gives us what we need to believe. Now, think about this for a second. This second point, Jesus meets us in our doubt and gives us what we need to believe. If I said this to an unbeliever, they would look at me like I'm nuts, right? Like, 
if this were true, then we'd have undeniable proof that God exists and that the Bible is true and everyone on earth would believe. And of course, that is not the case. Faith is always required when it comes to following Jesus. And this is what Jesus was emphasizing when he said that those who have not seen yet believed are blessed. We're never going to be able to prove without a shadow of a doubt what we believe. You have to have faith. Otherwise, following Jesus does not work out. Right? It's like Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, we're not talking about blind faith here. Right? Like, you absolutely, 100% can look at what you believe and research it and understand it and try to learn about it and look for evidence for it. But faith is always still required. Eventually, you need to look at where the evidence points and trust God with the rest of it. See, refusing to believe unless you can be absolutely certain is not faith. It's not even doubt. It's just plain unbelief. Doubting is questioning and a willingness to learn regardless of what the outcome may be. But unbelief is refusing to change your mind unless you can be absolutely certain. And faith has no part in it. So Jesus meets us in our doubt and he gives us what we need to believe. So as we struggle with doubt, as we wrestle with this doubt that we have, we have to turn to God. We have to look to him in his word. We have to look to him in prayer, in worship. We look to him in the support and the encouragement of the community and gift he's given us in the church. The list goes on and on. Everybody needs different things as they wrestle with doubt, but God will give us what we need to be able to wrestle with it. So as we doubt, doubt helps us to learn about God. See, Thomas, Thomas is questioning here helps us to see that Jesus accepted worship. And he accepted being equated with God. Now, that seems obvious to us. We're 21st century Christians sitting in a Christian worship service. Of course, Jesus is God. But to the Jewish people who Thomas lived among, they would have vehemently struggled with this, believing that Jesus was God. But here in this passage that we've just studied, we see the most clear identification of Jesus' deity in the Gospels. It's not just that Jesus' followers are claiming that Jesus is God. It's that Jesus is agreeing with them. So Thomas went from doubting Jesus to worshiping him because Thomas grew in his faith and had learned and believed who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. So Jesus does not condemn us when, I, when we doubt. Instead, he meets us in our doubt and he gives us what we need to believe. And doubt helps us to learn about God. So as you think about your own doubt, as you think about the questions that you may have, how do you handle your doubt? How do you respond to it? Are you a believer who has some questions and has a desire to learn to pair with it? Or do you pretend that your doubt just isn't there? Maybe you're someone who's sitting here today and you see the benefits of Christianity, but the questions are just too many for you to commit. Wherever you are at today, are you willing to search for answers? 
Are you willing to learn or is your mind made up just because the questions exist? Are you in the right mindset to allow God to work in your life and help you to grow through your doubt or are you stuck in unbelief? Church, my encouragement to you is that we take a lesson from Thomas to be able to learn and wrestle with our doubt, to ask the hard questions and allow God to show us who he is. Let's ask for his help in that. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the example of Thomas and his asking questions. We thank you that through that we can identify you as God, that we can see that you, Jesus, our God, come in flesh. Come to live among us and show us how to follow you. And so now as we do that, as the people who have not seen yet believe, we pray that you would help us. Help us to wrestle with doubt so that we can know you deeper. Help us to wrestle with doubt so that we can grow in our faith. Help us to trust you in the most difficult moments when there's questions that seem unanswerable. We need your help in this, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.